Welcome. I'm Philippe Mejritz, VP of Customer Success Experience and Operations here at Coros. Today's episode is a little different from our normal one. We're wrapping up season one, and I'm joined by one of our other season one hosts, Anna Lazarski. Regretfully, Natanya Anderson wasn't able to join us today. As we go into season two, I'll be stepping back from hosting, while both Anna and Natanya will remain. Not only that, we're adding two new hosts that will be phenomenal additions to the rotation, Jake Roadhouse and John Wishart two of our exceptional value consultants. Jake, John, tell our audience a little bit about yourselves. Thanks, Philippe. Uh, as Philippe mentioned, my name is John. I've been with Koros for about 16 years and a really avid user of community for years before that. I sort of stumbled into communities, frankly. In the early 2000s, all of my friends had just moved off of dial-up internet. They were starting to play video games together online, but I couldn't get high-speed internet. So in order to keep up with my friends, I found the forums for this game. And then 20 years passed. And so today I work at Coros in the capacity of, as Fleet mentioned, a business value director, focused on helping our customers conceptualize, project, and measure the impact of their CX strategies. Really looking forward to this next season and looking back on season one with y'all today. Jake? My name is Jake Roadhouse, and I am very excited to be here on the Titans of Customer Engagement podcast. I've been involved in communities since the late 90s. Communities have always fascinated me. I've run my own since the early 2000s. And when I came to Koros, which was then named Lithium Technologies back in 2006, I discovered that there was this whole world of uh, using community as a business solution. So for the last 15 years, I've been helping brands use community as a business solution. And obviously, as our company has grown and expanded, we have a diverse portfolio of solutions. And so I've done my best to try to crawl out of the community mud and, and work with those other solutions as well. But at heart, I'm a community guy. And so um, what I do now specifically within the community world is I work for a team called Business Value Consulting. And our job is to focus on ROI, return on investment, full-time for our customers that have been with us for a year, five years, 15 years, or also for customers that are thinking about joining our Coros family, a projected ROI of what a community endeavor would yield for them. If it's saving them money, is it making them money, and all the things in between. So that's sort of the world I live in, the, the murky world of social media ROI. And I got to tell you, I love it. Awesome. Thanks very much for the intro. Now, as I mentioned, today's episode is a little different. We decided we'd spend a bit of time talking about topics that we know are close to people's hearts, customers at the heart of the brand strategy. And in this conversation, we're going to touch base on how to make sure that brands use their voice in responsible ways, how not to forget about a hidden audience, how to leverage other technologies to get there. And I'm sure we'll hit other topics uh, on the way. But there you have it. So, to kick it off, Anna did an interview with Lars at TV2 Marketing called Social, Socialize by Using Social, Engaging Customers for Exceptional CX. Anna, what did you not talk about that you think might be a good starting point here? 
Thanks, Philippe. Yeah, Lars and I had a great conversation about how he views the world um, and the responsibility that his team has kind of actively taken on to improve the experience for not their customers, but their audience on social media. So for anyone not familiar with his broadcaster, Lars was speaking about the work that he does at TV2 Denmark, which is one of the two main television stations in Denmark and is a huge media outlet. So something we didn't talk about that I've kind of reflected on since is I think the passion that he spoke about the work he was doing. Um, He talked with a lot of pride and passion about the stance that he and his team had taken, which was essentially to stand up for reality TV contestants when they were essentially being trolled by social media users. Um, I think it was really exciting to hear the satisfaction he found in taking a stance, having an opinion, um, and kind of ultimately improving his little patch of the world um, in the interests of building a positive space, a nurturing community, and saying, you know, we won't tolerate hateful conversations on our platform. It is simply not good for our mental health. I actually think that passion was something I noticed in many of the guests that we had on and the topics that we covered in in season one. You know, an engaging customer experience doesn't really happen by accident. It is really put to life by the people who are passionate about their organizations, passionate about their roles, um, and were really committed to making a difference. Um, I've been keeping that in mind really often. Um, So how the employee and customer experiences are cyclical, you know, they kind of start with taking a first step towards making a better customer experience, which can lead to a more rewarding employee experience, which starts to become self-fulfilling and motivating to lead to a better CX and so on. Um, But I, I don't think I was expecting to find such a meaningful example from a broadcaster in Denmark. What do you think, Philippe and John? I mean, I think this focus that folks have that is maybe seemingly obvious, but is easy to miss, is that at the other side of the screen are just people, right? And and in the case of employee experience, customer experience, like we are all each, right? We are all both. And so I think the recognition of the fact that one of the ways in which we can improve these experiences is by reminding ourselves of that frequently right, that there are just people on the other side of that screen. And I think one of the things that's really remarkable about what you described with Lars is this recognition of these are people who are literally on TV, right? Like, it's so easy to, to like, other this group. But instead, he's focused on the fact that we have a role to help keep these people safe as they entertain us, you know, whatever the case might be. I think it's really interesting as that notion kind of cascades throughout businesses of, like, what is our role and our responsibility? Keeping the people that we engage with safe, keeping an environment that is comfortable and inclusive. One of, one of the things, uh, and I re-listened to the podcast recently, is he talks about how you have to invoke a feeling. It doesn't have to be happiness. It can be anger. It can be sadness. It can be whatever. And so it's just how you think about when you post, when you engage, you want to have reactions from people and have them really engage with you. And I know Jake's got thoughts on that. So Jake, what do you think? When I think of engagement on social media or even engagement of a customer in a store or a customer looking at products, I think of somebody that's willing to buy or at least entertaining the idea to buy. Um, A brand should really take the time or set the space for a person to be able to engage effectively. 
if it's robust documenta documentation online, if it's lots of pictures, if it's actual technology on the website where you can spin the product around, if there's dimensions, a brand needs to be ready to accommodate that level of engagement for the digital customer. Of course, if the customer goes to a store, a brand, if there is a brick and mortar store, a brand should have employees there to be able to answer these questions or accommodate a similar type of experience that the person would get online if they were doing investigation there. Engagement gets a little bit tricky because the brand digitally has to keep the potential customer on the hook, or at the very least, keep them loyal over years. And so to that end, there are responsibilities of the brand to make it a smooth experience, whether it be a safe experience when the person wants to interact with their peers and learn more about how their buying decisions should be informed, or whether it's a safe experience with them just being able to participate with other peers in general discussion. Either way, engagement should be at the center of a brand strategy for their digital customer experience, but there's a certain amount of responsibility and empathy that needs to be shown to that customer that is an echo of the exact same responsibility and empathy that is shown to the customer in an actual brick and mortar space. Amazing. So there's a lot of things that we can really talk about as we get here. Um, and I mean, one of the other things that Lars talked about was how you can think about your channels and how you think about if you pick everything out there under the sun, you have the ability to then just become a publishing house where you're just posting and posting. You're not actually engaging with people. And that is when you think about community in the broad sense of things, whether that's in-person community, whether that's social community, whether that's peer-to-peer -peer community, whatever that looks like, engaging becomes that such a critical component of why people do it, why brands do it. Um, so how do you all think about that? I think engagement becomes the goal that you want to nurture with your audience. I think we also had some some great inputs in season one on um, how the audience sort of perceives you as they become familiar with you. Um, and there was a great moment in Louise Branscombe's episode when she was talking about um, lurkers or those maybe passive learners or those visitors to your channels, how you bring them on a journey until they are actually ready to engage with you or buy from you or advocate for you. Um, so I think it's I think when you think about engagement, it's not necessarily the default, um, but it's brands or it's organizations' responsibility to make sure that they are kind of nurturing their visitors or their users or their audience kind of through those different stages and through that funnel of making sure that they are getting them more comfortable um, or in a place where they can advocate, buy, answer questions, talk back, listen. Um, that's that's certainly what I noticed um, from the the brands and the the organizations that we spoke to. I think one of the other consistencies that I noticed listening back to a lot of the episodes that y'all did in season one is it seems like a lot of folks are in this moment of like redefinition, right? So even this concept of engagement, I feel like the crux of Louise's point was the term engagement maybe has been too limiting of a term for us, right? We immediately jump to who are the people posting? Who are the people that we can like visibly see? 
But and I realize this is like one of those obnoxious semantic arguments, but think about the term engagement and where I hear it most outside of the context of CX. It's like engaged listener, right? It's it's like, are you actively tuned into what other people are saying? What I thought was so interesting was Louise kind of pulling on that notion by saying these folks might not be engaged in the traditional sense. They are here. They are participating in a different way that's just as valuable to them as an organization. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, she has an example of um, comparing it to a shop where someone walks through the door and might know exactly what they want and buys immediately. In other words, engages with your store, your physical store in real time. They might be a regular, they might be there once, but they come in and they do something. Then you've got other people that are coming through the door, but they're not ready to buy. They're not ready to do anything. They just look around and browse. They may or may not ask a question. They may or may not interact with anybody explicitly, but then that positions them to be ready the next time to buy or the late in, and maybe they never buy maybe they always just come in and browse like i mean i know i go to stores sometimes and i never want to buy anything there i'm like yeah nothing there but it's fun to just do and it's interesting and you see things that you wouldn't normally um be able to, to to interact with yeah i actually think that the efforts that lars was taking on his social media channels was that way of sort of pruning the shop front um so making sure that that was a comfortable place for people to come and browse and look around and potentially engage in the future um you know i i know that there wasn't kind of the carrot of huge profits at the end of that project, but it, it kind of inadvertently improved the perception of TV2 within Denmark. Um, and it had a positive knock-on effect to the way that his brand is perceived. Um, and in that way, I think a positive kind of shop front for um, TV2 as, they, as he had different audience members or growing people to the audience start to poke around and, and see if it was a place that they wanted to return to. Jake, what do you think? I think any time that I have historically participated in a community or in social media in any of its various guises, my personal approach is to be provocative. Sometimes in my more juvenile times, I, I, I might have been a provocateur or maybe at my worst, a troll, but never completely uncivil or nasty. I do like to be provocative, though. I think being provocative brings about the best forms of discussion. In the case of the reality TV and participants on social media and people going on there and throwing stones at them and being sort of mean, social media kind of has devolved in that at its worst. But at its, at its best, there are great discussions or there are people taking away lessons and learnings from these discussions from originally provocative conversations. Provocative doesn't necessarily always mean a bad thing. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. Of course, in general culture, society can quickly devolve into a bad thing. But being provocative is healthy. I think provocative is good and that it brings about some of the best forms of discussions or learnings that we can share collectively as we crowdsource ideas or discussion. I think it's, there's a lot of, of areas to it. Is how do you push the membership on the audience? How do you make them engage? How do you think about the right place to engage with them? How do you really deliver that value with that customer? Um, because I mean, part of it is, and it, this is one of the trends that I noticed throughout many of the podcasts is value for customers and really putting that customer first and really thinking about 
the way that your customers want to engage with you, the way that you have the opportunity to talk to so many more people than you would if we didn't have a socials presence, a community presence, a digital presence at all. And it's one of those transformative spaces that we're in now. And obviously things have accelerated over the last few years, but this has been an ongoing change over the last decade, 15, 20 years, where more and more customers for brands are engaging with people. And to John, your earlier point, engagement, not necessarily meaning talking to you physically um, or talking to you and posting, but reading your content is engagement. Watching your content is engagement. So thinking about the medium and thinking about all those things, I think it's how we think about all of those pieces. Um, and one of the other podcasts, uh, Auburn uh, Barry from the European Walk Center talks about using data to have those better conversations and looking at it in a big picture way. And there are so many different ways to slice that data from each of those social media areas. So have you guys thought or y'all thought about the way that data can be leveraged to help improve the customer experience as a whole um, from a holistic so that the customers can really be at that heart of our strategies and heart of our customer strategies. In regards to data and how it is used to improve the customer experience, there are a few things that I think need to be examined. Number one, using the data responsibly, of course, and using the data without hitting the person over the head. By that, I mean, if they give you, they, the customer, give you, the brand, their email address, please be responsible with that. You, their email address is not to be used as a blunt instrument for every single marketing shtick, schlock thing that you can send them. I understand that marketing wants to be in contact with a customer or a potential customer. I also want to be understanding that a business, as it grows, needs to continue to let customers or potential customers about what they're doing. But there is a sense of fatigue that is constantly happening in the digital customer experience. And I think a brand's responsibility at this point is treating the email address of a customer gingerly. At this point, sharing it with, you know, or selling it to other organizations, I don't like that. It's a business's decision to do that if they choose to do it. But I want to get more to the crux of the discussion, which is just being delicate and sensitive about that precious contact that you have. Now, with all that said, collecting data of a customer, their behaviors, their buying patterns, their demographic, things like that. I think it's important. I think it's great to learn from all that stuff. For me personally, if I was running a big enterprise business and I was myopically focused on learning from that data, my priority would be what the data can teach me about the customer drifting away. Where am I sensing when they are leaving? Because for me, if I have a great product and I have a, I've already created a great customer experience, the biggest risk for me is losing that customer. And so I think data, if it can reveal when a customer is leaving or about to leave, that becomes the most important way that we can use data. 
I mean, I think a piece of it goes back to the framing of the question in some sense, which is that we keep in mind, what is the individual person trying to do? Like, what is the mode by which they want to engage? I think that's where the data becomes really helpful, right? It's helping us identify that by virtue of the signals that that particular customer might be offering up. Are they looking for an opportunity to seek out information? And we want to aid that through a bot that brings information to them without them having to ask. Or are they someone that is looking to connect with another individual and we want to put them in touch with other customers? Having the data around where did they come from? What are they trying to do? What kind of customer might they be? That feels like the foundation for sort of understanding how can we assist that individual using data to understand who they are, what they're trying to do. Yeah, I've certainly noticed in the conversations that we had in the podcast, but also more broadly um, with with customers and other organizations, just the breadth of data that there is out there can be overwhelming. Um, so it's, it's not necessarily the question is, um, do I have the right data? You probably do. It is making sense of the noise and filtering that down into a couple of areas that you can actually understand, interrogate a little bit more, get opinions on, and ultimately take action. Um, I think, John, to your point about answering that specific question, what are what is the thing that you're actually trying to do? Um, Auburn made a really great point in her podcast that she was looking to find one question to get a high level of volume that comes to her support agents to go away Um, and it sounded as if they had some hypothesis towards what that question might be but they were kind of they were surprised to learn that that was actually oh it's a question about whether you can get waxed when you're pregnant Um, and so I think that this ties into putting the customer not thinking of them as an other, but putting them in the room with you and actually allowing them to to tell you um, what that experience should look like. Yeah, it's definitely one of those, what is it, the old school, the extra empty chair in the room concept where you've got, when we all had physical offices and we're in the office in the room, like the boardroom or the the discussion rooms where that extra chair is there where you can physically, quote unquote, see that customer. And I think it's, you kind of started it earlier, um, and Anna, you mentioned at the beginning about the employee and customer experience feeling cyclical, and you kind of alluded to that in this particular piece because I think one of the cycles is how do you improve your employee experience because employees have to engage with our customers and be there for the customers and really have that ongoing engagement, and if they don't have the positivity and the thoughts and the knowledge and the capabilities and they feel like their lives are challenging, then they're not going to want to do it. And they suddenly they become this lurker learner concept. And that doesn't work because that really is the opposite of why a brand is maybe putting employees in play. So how do we think about that? And what advice do we maybe think about when we talk to customers? In my opinion, the employee experience should actually dovetail into what the customer experience looks like. It's sort of like that old icon or ancient artifact that we call the Ouroboros. It's the snake eating its own tail. And I think the employee experience kind of melds into the customer experience. And although it might not be a chicken or the egg type of thing, that it actually starts with the employee experience first because the employee welcomes the customer in. 
the employee is the first one to say, how can I help you? Now, if they have to wait for the customer to start that experience, there may be a problem. Because it could be that the customer comes to them with their hair on fire, with a desperate situation. It could come to be, it could come to pass that the customer comes to them with a chip on their shoulder or a resentment, and thus begets a larger experience that is not only negative for the customer to unburden themselves of, but it's negative for the employee to have to digest. And they then, in turn, take that and radiate and ripple that out in all their subsequent customer experience or experiences with other customers. So if we start the chain of events actually with the employee bringing a sense of openness and a sense of empathy to the customer, that's the best kind of start we can have. And if the customer initiates experience with hostility or an adversarial attitude, the employee has to be disciplined enough to be able to know that it is not personal and that they need to sort of not necessarily reflect it back as much as digest it and then repeat back to the customer in a calm manner exactly what they can do to help the customer. The fact of the matter is, though, that this is always holding a tiger by the tail when it comes to the employee experience. Keeping employees happy is, is important more so now than ever just because it's a very competitive marketplace these days for employees. And so if an employee is in a position where they're the tip of the spear and they're dealing with the front lines of very angry or frustrated customers, those employees should actually be some of the most highly rewarded, respected, and lauded people in the organization. And oftentimes, sadly, organizations put support teams and customer service teams in the rear with the gear. It's a little sad, but that's just the, how it goes. In a sense, that's what I kind of like about social media and community in particular, is that in a peer-to-peer -peer community where people are seeking self-service sol and solving their own problems there, they don't get as angry with folks there just like themselves. So I don't want to dodge the employee experience as much as I want to put a, a fine point on it and say that it's tied extremely tightly with the customer experience, but that the employee does have a responsibility to be the ignition switch for a good experience. So I, I feel like part of it goes back to this notion, and, and I, again, this is the through line that was easy to, to pick up on listening back to a lot of the episodes from that first season is putting ourselves back in the shoes of who that person is, right? In some sense, approaching the way that we handle customer experience sort of selfishly, right? Like, what is the experience that I would like to be having on the other side of the equation, right? And how can I, as the employee in this particular case, assist with granting someone that experience that feels beneficial, useful for me if I were having it, right? And I feel like that's a big piece of it is, is taking that step back and trying to understand how could we approach it in a way that I, or <laughs> the generic I, would be receptive to. Yeah, I think it comes down to that kind of empathy piece, both for the employees on the front line and for the customer. What can we learn from the experience that they're having? Um, understanding 
where there is some friction and also where the where are the ways that we are excelling where are we making this super pleasurable and where can we kind of dial those up to make sure that the experience with our brands and the experiences that our employees are having um are are ultimately as as positive as possible i think there was what i heard from the conversations that we had was was that there was a lot more conversation being had, a lot more willingness to take into account agents' experience, for example, um, and, a, and a growing recognition that improving that agent or that frontline employee experience will help us to have more satisfied, less frustrated customers in the long run. I think that's it's a good point. I mean, there's how do we engage with our employees? How do we engage with our customers? And how do we think about that as a whole? Because we've got both, I mean, in today's world, we have automation that can help for our customers and they just that same automation that can help for our employees. So when we think about how do we roll capabilities out from a pure technology standpoint, we need to think about, can this apply broader, bigger? Then you think about it from kind of a process standpoint same thing. Thinking about it from an empathy standpoint, same thing. And it really is how do we start to engage and ask the questions to John, your point earlier around, is there empathy that we need to put ourselves in the customer's shoes, putting ourselves in our employee's shoes and pretending like we're that employee and having our operations teams and, and others that are running the the technology piece, making sure that they also think about the actual employee experience, because there are so many studies out there that say employee experience increases, therefore customer experience increases, and therefore brands meet their goals. And it all comes back to how do we not forget about that hidden audience? How do we not forget about the, using our voices in the right way um, and anything else? It can be daunting, though. I think, as as a as an employee, or certain certainly like a newer employee, speaking up, um, having your voice heard, trying to learn the ropes um, in these sorts of environments, especially if they are you know online. Um, and so I'm, I'm I'm interested to see how other organizations do this well, and what we can learn going forward, given the climate right now as well. How do we how do we really engage our employees? How do we talk to them? How do we um, iterate on what they're saying to us? And how do we improve the the workplace that we have, um, given the the kind of increasing competition that is out there? I think we'll start to wrap up this conversation. Um, so, with that in mind. Just the same question that I ask all of our audience, is there one action or one thing that you think either from your experience or from the previous podcast that you would say, take this as a knowledge piece and go do something with this. Go take an action. Go think about what you would do within your space, whatever space that looks like. I think it's a good question or a good request to always check in on what we know or what we've learned and how we're going to turn it into action. For me, just in this conversation, and, and, and I think maybe to, a, to an effect going back to some of the other podcasts, it becomes a question of what am I trying to do when I post on social media, personally? I mentioned at the beginning that I was talking about being provocative, but can I use more gentle language? 
Can I be a little bit more hospitable? Can I put on a velvet glove instead of a spiked gauntlet when I talk to people? Because oftentimes I may feel frustrated or I may feel impatient, but I just have to work with that. I have to deal with that. And so if you're looking for um, a direct action that I can take out into the world, or if I'm looking inward at a direct action out in the world, I think it's probably just a human trait that I need to improve, or many of us might need to improve, but I need to do it, I know for sure. I need to be more patient, and I need to be a little bit more gentle. So I think that's the lesson that I learn consistently when I brainstorm a little bit about customer experience, when I brainstorm about employee experience, when I brainstorm about engagement. Maybe I can just be a little bit more patient and a little bit more gentle with my fellow human beings. All right, how about Anna? I would say that the the lesson of TV2 Denmark of of taking a stance and trying to stand up for what you think is right, you might not have the long-term vision as to exactly where that is going to lead you to. Um, but I think I guess working or operating in the knowledge that you are working within your values, that you are doing the right thing for the way that you and your organization deem the best way in the current climate is is really inspiring. Um, and I think if even if things don't you know necessarily pan out the way you were expecting them to, I think having that strength of mind is is super important in in the current climate. John, what do you think? I think for me, the one that like immediately when I heard it, I realized, oh, I'm never going to say that word again, was Louise's point around lurkers. Like it was just that idea that immediately upon hearing her description, something just clicked, right? Which says like, this is a limiting term and it has absolutely changed dynamics such that the behavior we are taking assumes these are people uninterested in taking the action that we want. And so I think broadening our conception of that and kind of putting that into practice, how do I change my day-to-day understanding that I might always have people that just want to be there and listen. And that's not only okay, that's desirable. That's good. And how do I serve those people? Where before, I've probably been ignoring them. I am so excited to hear what in season two and, and beyond we hear our other words or our other phrases that we really commonly use that our audience wants to challenge. Because I don't think lurkers is the only one. Um, because it has, you're so right, when I was listening to the episode, it has such a negative connotation. Um, and I didn't realize, why have we not challenged this sooner? So I'm really excited to see what viewpoints our audience or our new hosts, John and, and Jake, what you come out with um, to help us kind of shape the way that we're thinking about engagement, um, about customer and audience experiences in the future. Thank you for opening the door to what my final point is, and that is the passion that everybody that's been on the podcast in season one has had. And that is what I expect to happen in season two as well. And that is like, the whole idea of this is an industry that people really have enthusiasm behind. They believe in it. They believe in how we can communicate with our customers. How do you talk to people in an effective way to make it humanized and really be able to think about and remember that on all parties, there are people involved and that people is really with a key component of what exists. And the reason that we all do our jobs is because of that broader sense of the social space, the capabilities of talking to humans out there and not needing to be in the same physical room as someone else. 
So thanks to Jake, John, and Anna for their time today. And with that, I'm going to say goodbye and good luck. I look forward to listening to the discussions each of you has with our customers in season two of Titans of Customer Engagement. Thanks for spending time with us today on Titans of Customer Engagement, a customer experience podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, leave us a review, and spread the word. Your feedback means a lot to us. Continue the conversation on Koros Atlas at community.koros.com. Until next time. The CX world is now digital first. It's what customers expect and Koros can help. Koros is an award-winning customer engagement platform built to turn those siloed interactions with your customer into enterprise value. You can harness the power of human connection across the customer experience. From outbound marketing, social, messaging, chat, and SMS to owned and digital communities. Customer engagement means staying always connected. Find out how customer-first software and services can make you a titan of customer engagement at Koros.com.